Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Block Second Quarter 2023 Earnings Conference Call. I would now like to turn the call over to your host, Nikhil Dixit, Head of Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining our second quarter 2023 earnings call. We have Jack and Amrita with us today. We will begin this call with some short remarks before opening the call directly to your questions. During Q&A, we will take questions from our customers in addition to questions from conference call participants. We would also like to remind everyone that we will be making forward-looking statements on this call. All statements other than statements of historical fact could be deemed to be forward-looking. These forward-looking statements include discussions of our outlook and guidance, as well as our long-term targets and goals, and we may decide to shift our priorities or move away from these targets and goals at any time. These statements are subject to risks and uncertainties. Actual results could differ materially from those contemplated by our forward-looking statements. Reported results should not be considered as an indication of future performance. Please take a look at our filings with the SEC for a discussion of the factors that could cause our results to differ. Also note that the forward-looking statements on this call are based on information available to us as of today's date. We disclaim any obligation to update any forward-looking statements except as required by law. During this call, we will provide preliminary estimates of gross profit growth, GPV, and GMV performance for the month of July. These represent our current estimates for July performance as we have not yet finalized our financial statements for the month of July and our monthly results are not subject to interim review by our auditors. As a result, actual July results may differ from these estimates and may not be reflective of performance for the full third quarter. Moreover, this financial information has been prepared solely on the basis of currently available information by and is the responsibility of management. This preliminary financial information has not been reviewed or audited by our independent public accounting firm. This preliminary financial information is not a comprehensive statement of our financial results for July or the third quarter. Within these remarks, we will also discuss metrics related to our investment framework, including Rule of 40. With Rule of 40, we are evaluating the sum of our gross profit growth and adjusted operating income margins. Also, we will discuss certain non-GAAP financial measures during this call. Reconciliations for the most directly comparable GAAP financial measures are provided in the shareholder letter, historical financial information spreadsheet, and investor day materials on our investor relations website. These non-GAAP measures are not intended to be a substitute for our GAAP results. Finally, this call in its entirety is being audio webcast on our investor relations website. An audio replay of this call and the transcript for Jack and Amrita's opening remarks will be available on our website shortly. With that, I would like to turn it over to Jack. Thank you for joining us today. I'll spend my time today highlighting the progress we've made on two themes. First, our investment framework, and second, our ecosystem of ecosystems model. You'll find everything else from the quarter in the shareholder letter we posted an hour ago. As we shared earlier this year, we define our investment framework as block and each ecosystem must show a believable path to gross profit retention of over 100% and rule of 40 on adjusted operating income. Today, I want to share our progress towards this target and demonstrate how our investment framework forces us to make trade-offs and guides our decision-making across the company. Leaders across our company are now looking at the true full cost of their businesses, inclusive of share-based compensation. This has led us to pull back on our pace of hiring, to be more targeted in hiring for critical roles, and to focus more on performance management. 
For sales and marketing, we have focused on efficiency to drive acquisition while decreasing spend. We've pulled back on brand spend and more experimental channels across our ecosystems in favor of channels with more proven returns. This past quarter, we also decided to wind down operations in certain markets, including Cash App's Verse brand in the, in the EU and our buy now, pay later platform, ClearPay, in Spain, France, and Italy. These required significant investment, and the markets have not seen the growth and profitability we had expected over the past several years. We see an opportunity to shift these resources towards strategic areas that have a higher potential return on investment. And we continue to drive towards our goal. We may identify other areas we, where we aren't seeing the expected and necessary returns. We also continue to improve our cost structure for each of the ecosystems by identifying opportunities to expand our structural margins. These include the investments we make in technologies like automation and machine learning to manage risk and finding ways to optimize our partnerships. As a result of our investment discipline, we're increasing our profitability expectations for this year, which Amrita will speak about. We'll continue to share updates with you as we make progress towards our target. As a company, our strength and resilience comes from our diversified ecosystems, each serving different audiences and the connections we create between them. There's some notable examples of this work in the second quarter. In June, we turned on Cash App Pay as a payment method for Square invoices, giving customers the ability to pay outstanding invoices directly from their Cash App balance. In the second quarter, we launched Cash App Pay with several well-known afterpay sellers, expanding the connection between Cash App and our Buy Now Pay Later platform, and also recently launched strategic partnerships with payment providers Stripe, Adyen, and Pay Near Me, an important step in reaching a wider range of merchants. We started enabling Square Payroll employees to file taxes for free by using automated W-2 import directly in the Cash App taxes. After receiving a notification from Square Payroll, employees simply log in to Cash App taxes, securely import their W-2, and complete and submit their tax forms. Earlier this year, we shared plans for the public beta testing of our Bitcoin wallet, BitKey. And in June, we announced our first two global partners, Coinbase and Cash App, to allow customers to buy and immediately transfer Bitcoin from those custodial platforms into BitKey's self-custody wallet. I'll now pass it to Amrita, who will provide more details on our financials. Thanks, Jack. There are three topics I'd like to cover. First, an overview of our strong second quarter results across growth and profitability. Second, trends we're seeing across our business in July. And third, a look at our investment discipline and profit expectations for the remainder of the year. In the second quarter, we had strong growth at scale with gross profit of $1.87 billion, up 27% year over year. Our strong profitability this quarter is a demonstration of our ability to drive leverage and operating efficiency in our business. Adjusted EBITDA was $384 million, up more than two times year over year. Adjusted operating income, which as a reminder includes expenses related to stock-based compensation and depreciation, was $25 million, compared to a loss of $103 million a year ago. Let's get into Square and Cash App. Square generated $888 million in gross profit, up 18% year over year. Looking at some of the drivers, gross profit from our vertical point of sale products was up 37% year over year, with each of our restaurants, retail, and appointments products delivering gross profit of more than $100 million on an annualized basis during the quarter. Square GPV was up 12% year over year, 
looking at the components of growth across retention, churn, and acquisition. GPV per existing seller, which effectively measures same-store growth, has stepped down since the third quarter of 2022 and has been the primary driver of the moderation in GPV growth since then. We achieved positive growth in acquisition and saw relative stability in churn of existing sellers compared to historical levels. We've seen strength in our square banking products, which totaled $167 million in gross profit during the quarter, an increase of 24% year over year. Banking products represented 19% of square gross profit, excluding PPP, up from 17% in the prior year. The four biggest drivers of square banking during the quarter were instant transfer, square debit card, square savings, and square loans. We saw benefits from raising pricing on instant transfer earlier this year, from recent launches of our banking products outside the US, and from interest on Square savings balances. Lastly, for Square, growing up market has remained strong, with gross profit from mid-market sellers up 20% year-over-year. We believe the total addressable market for the larger seller segment remains large and highly fragmented, and our recent shift in go-to-market efforts is intended to drive further growth up market. CashUp generated $968 million in gross profit, an increase of 37% year-over-year. Each component of our inflows framework, actives, inflows per transacting active, and monetization rate, grew on a year-over-year basis. During the month of June, we reached 54 million monthly transacting actives, up 15% year-over-year. We've continued to see significantly higher attention for actives with larger network sizes. During the quarter, those with a network of four or more represented more than half of Cash App quarterly transacting actives. Peer-to-peer functionality has allowed us to scale our network rapidly and has driven engagement. In the second quarter, peer-to-peer transactions per active reached an all-time quarterly high. This helped drive $53 billion in peer-to-peer volume across Cash App during the second quarter, an increase of 18% year-over-year. Inflows per transacting active averaged $1,134 in the second quarter, up 8% year-over-year and relatively stable compared to the first quarter, which typically has a seasonal benefit from tax refunds. We believe there is significant runway for growth in inflows per transacting active over time through increased product adoption and growing share of wallets. This tax season, more than one-third of Cash App taxes actives chose to receive their refund directly into Cash App, a meaningful increase year-over-year, driving new actives to direct deposit. Product adoption has been especially strong for our financial services products. Both Cash App card and direct deposit experienced strong growth in actives and volumes. Monetization rate, which excludes gross profit contributions from our BNPL platform, was 1.44%. Monetization was up 16 basis points year-over-year, driven primarily by pricing changes over the past year and up three basis points quarter over quarter, driven primarily by the timing of strong first quarter inflows during the tax season. Lastly, our BNPL platform contributed $84 million of gross profit to each of Square and Cash App in the second quarter. GNV from our BNPL platform was $6.4 billion in the second quarter, an increase of 22% year over year. Losses on consumer receivables were 1.01% of GNV, relatively consistent with the prior year. Next, an update on July trends. For the month of July, we expect total gross profit growth of 21% year over year, which we would orient you to for the third quarter and the remainder of 2023. Looking at each ecosystem, 
For the month of July, we expect square gross profit to grow 15% year over year, which we expect to be relatively consistent through the third quarter. The moderation in gross profit growth from the second quarter is primarily due to transaction margin compression as we lapse certain benefits from more favorable interchange economics last year. Square GPV is expected to be up 12% year over year, consistent with the second quarter, as we've seen stability in GPV growth over the past three months from May through July. For the fourth quarter, we expect gross profit and GPV growth to improve slightly compared to the third quarter, as square benefits from more favorable comparisons. <clears throat> For Cash App, we expect gross profit to grow 27% year over year in July, and similar to Square, we expect this to be relatively consistent through the third quarter. In 2023, we continue to expect growth on a year-over-year -year basis from monthly transacting actives, inflows per active, and monetization rate. We expect Cash App's monetization rate in the back half of the year to be more consistent with the second quarter, and we expect gross profit to grow more in line with the overall inflows as a result. Given the focus on efficiency, the wind-down of Verse will have an impact on monthly actives going forward, although we do not expect an impact to inflows or gross profit. For the fourth quarter, we expect, expect a slight moderation in Cash App's gross profit growth, driven by stabilization in Cash App's monetization rate, and as we lapse stronger growth in the prior year period. For our BNPL platform, we expect year-over-year -year GMV growth in July to be similar to the second quarter's 22%, with GMV growing faster than gross profit due to regional mix. Turning to our progress against Rule of 40 and our profit expectations for the remainder of the year. Our investment framework sets up an ambitious goal, and we're focused on progressing towards it over the long term. We'll continue to share updates with you and hold ourselves accountable. Expanding on what Jack touched on, we've worked to deliver efficiencies through the first half of the year. On hiring, we drove leverage compared to our expectations entering the year by encouraging efficiencies among existing teams and prioritizing hiring in more critical areas. We expect our headcount growth in 2023 to be below the 10% target set out earlier this year. With sales and marketing, we've pulled back on lower ROI channels to increase our efficiency. While Cash App's variable sales and marketing expenses, namely peer-to-peer -peer and Cash App card issuance costs, were up year-over-year, -year, overall company customer acquisition spend was down year-over-year, -year, driving leverage across Square and Cash App. Despite this pullback, we saw healthy acquisition across each ecosystem as we shifted our mix of spend. And looking at corporate overhead spend, we began to identify cost savings opportunities by downsizing our real estate footprint across some of our West Coast office locations. Given some of these items on a gap basis, operating loss was $132 million in the second quarter, which includes the impact of acquisition-related amortization expenses, as well as restructuring expenses for the wind-down of Verse and ClearBay in certain markets, and write-downs for certain real estate facilities, among other items. We expect to find further leverage opportunities in these and other overhead expenses over time. Moving to our full-year 2023 profit guidance. As we, have progressed, as we have progressed further into the year, we have better line of sight into our planned expenses and our updated guidance today reflects this. We're increasing our expectations for profitability in 2023 and now expect to deliver adjusted EBITDA of $1.5 billion and adjusted operating income of $25 million for the full year 2023. 
We expect to achieve profitability on an adjusted operating income basis for the year, which is inclusive of share-based compensation expenses. We continue to expect year-over-year -year margin expansion on both an adjusted EBITDA and adjusted operating income basis. Our updated full year guidance represents a step up of $140 million for each figure compared to our prior guidance. This represents both the gross profit momentum in our business during the second quarter and the focus on expense discipline we delivered in the first half of the year, which we expect to continue to drive in the second half of the year. Finally, touching on the third quarter, we expect third quarter non-GAAP operating expenses of $1.55 billion and we expect share-based compensation to increase by approximately $25 million relative to the second quarter. As Jack mentioned, share-based compensation, compensation remains an area on which we are focused and expect to drive greater leverage over time. We're excited about the progress we've made towards our investment framework and rule of 40 this quarter and are eager to continue the work. With that, I'll now turn it back to the operator to start the Q&A portion of the call. Thank you. If you would like to ask a question on the phone lines today, you can press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To remove yourself from the queue, it is star 1 again. We do ask that you please limit yourself to one question. We'll take our first question from Tin Chin Wong at J.P. Morgan. Hey, thanks so much here. So, um, so given your July month update, tracking a little bit slower than the second quarter, and also your profit update, which you raised, just love to hear your updated thoughts on on operating leverage. I know I asked that quite a bit, but just operating leverage here in the in the second half versus the first half, is operating leverage going to be driven more by the top line or by expense focus that you also talked about across the two ecosystems? Thanks. Hey, thanks for the question, Chin Chin. Um, so obviously, as you see, strong uh, second quarter results across both top line and profitability. Um, we're pleased with our ability to show discipline in our operating expenses, finding efficiencies while continuing to strongly grow the business. Um, and we expect to deliver continued discipline on our expenses in the back half of this year. And that's what's led to uh, raising our profitability targets for the full year by $140 million, reflective of on, on each of adjusted EBITDA and adjusted operating income, which reflects not only the strong performance in the second quarter, but raises our guidance for the remainder of the year. Um, as you heard, our second quarter, our July expected gross profit growth of 21% year-over-year growth. Um, we'd we'd uh, urge you to look at from a third full third quarter perspective and remainder of 2023 perspective as well, so seeing some stability from a gross profit perspective at the block level from July forward. As we noted, there's some lapping effects within Cash App and Square related to uh, pricing dynamics within Cash App and related to interchange economics within Square. From an operating leverage perspective, we see a number of opportunities for us, not only that we've uh, executed on in the first half of this year and expect to continue to drive into the second half, but also as we look forward longer term. Mainly three that I'd call out to you as the three biggest areas in our expense base of leverage. First, sales and marketing. Second, around hiring and headcount. And third, around our corporate overhead. From a sales and marketing perspective, we've focused on finding efficiencies and optimizing our spend. What you saw in the second quarter was our overall customer acquisition spend was down year over year with leverage across Square and Cash App. 
And despite this, we continue to see healthy acquisition across Square and Cash App as we oriented more of our remaining spend towards more proven channels and more proven areas of return. Secondly, with hiring, we've taken a more disciplined approach to growing our team. In the first half of, of the year, we drove leverage compared to our expectations and are encouraging more efficiencies out of our existing teams. Over time, we'd expect to see a slower pace of hiring, which drive leverage here as well as on stock-based compensation. From an overhead perspective, as we noted in the quarter, in the second quarter, we downsized our real estate footprint on the West Coast for some relatively modest savings, but longer term, we expect to drive leverage across a number of meaningful areas of spend here, uh, whether it's software and data usage, our real estate facilities, professional fees, P&E, and a range of other discretionary areas. Ultimately, our investment framework and our target of achieving rule of 40, which is a growth plus margin framework, will help us make these important trade-offs as we continue to invest to drive long-term profitable growth in the back half of this year and into 2024 and beyond, while doing so prudently and with discipline um, in our operating expense base. Got it. No, thanks. Appreciate it. We'll take our next question from Will Vu with Wolf Research. Hey, guys. This is uh, Darren Peller on from Wolf. Um, you know, you had 12% GPV growth into July, I think you just said, Amarito, right? And then it, it compares to the networks around 6 to 7% growth. So obviously your share is still gaining and holding up versus the industry. If you could just touch on what's working well there, and then also maybe expand on the verticalization efforts in the segment. While we're on that topic, though, I mean, the verticalization efforts obviously are going to come with some investment. So if you could just remind us your view on profitability levels beyond 23, and I know the rule of 20 is there, but just without a time frame, it's hard to really handicap how to think about progress in 24 or 25. Hey, thanks for the questions, Darren. Um, so I think what I'll do is I'll first hit um, what we're seeing in terms of Square GPV in the second quarter and into July, and then we'll hit upon the verticalization efforts for the Square business. Um, so what we're seeing um, in terms of July trends uh, was fairly consistent with what we've seen really through May. We've seen a stability in GPV trends from May through July, um, with July coming in at that 12% year-over-year uh, -year basis, consistent with the second quarter, also at 12%. If you unpack that by vertical in the second quarter, uh, food and drink GPV grew by 17% year-over-year. Retail GPV grew by 9% year-over-year. Services also by 9%. Services, of course, encompassing a number of subsectors, beauty, health and fitness, home and repair, professional services. Um, we have seen some moderation uh, trends across discretionary and non-discretionary verticals. Um, which we've talked about since really that mid-Q4 timeframe, and that's really broad-based across a number of different verticals. From a geographic perspective, uh, what we've seen is international markets have continued to also see some of those macro-related head headwinds, uh, which were more pronounced in Australia in the second quarter, albeit with overall growth, XBNPL, uh, continuing to be at a much faster rate of growth than the overall base of the business at 35% year-over-year growth for those international markets um, in the second quarter. Um, and again, from a month-to-month -month perspective, have generally seen greater stability from May through July on those GPV trends for Square. Driving the uh, 
diving into your verticalization question now, which I think is a key question for us as we think about continuing to grow up market where we have seen outsized growth, you know, from a gross profit perspective, up market grew 20% a year over year in the second quarter for us. Um, what, this is a key area for us as we continue in that strategic focus of bringing larger sellers onto our platform and acquiring those sellers that cross our key verticals of restaurants, retail, and beauty. Within our sales team, our focus has been on providing our reps with the right tools, industry knowledge, and signals um, to prospect and to acquire sellers across those three verticals. Let's take inbound and outbound uh, sales. Within inbound, we began verticalizing our U.S. inbound sales team last year. We completed that in April of this year. And since that completion, we've seen an improvement in gross profit added per account executive and in software attach rates. Still early, but encouraging trends there. Now for outbound, we finalized verticalizing our U.S. outbound sales team in July, so just this past month. Our account executives have now completed their industry training programs, which enable them to really deepen their knowledge within the assigned vertical that they've got. And we anticipate our account execs will continue to ramp through Q3 and hopefully be fully ramped into Q4. With those changes, our goal is to increase gross profit account added per account exec and software attach rates as we've seen with the inbound sales team. And as we see those signals and gain confidence there, on our processes and results, we'll look to continue to scale the outbound sales team over time. Ultimately, we'll be iterating on this in the coming quarters and years, as this is a long-term initiative for us to continue to grow up market and with our vertical points of sale and to drive those sustained results over time. We'd expect to see these results paying off the driving growth into 2024. Um, and expect our overall go-to-market spend to target at that three times ROI over four years. We'll take our next question. And we'll take our next question from Tim Chiodo with Credit Suisse. Great. Thank you for taking the question. I want to talk about seller sales and marketing or square sales and marketing a little bit. So this year's marketing expense, you mentioned it's benefiting from some of the annualization of the pullback that you had on brand awareness and some of the experimental stuff. So a shift towards more efficient spend. But sometimes there's a concern from investors that because the dollar amount is lower, that the size and health of the new cohort coming in might actually be a little bit smaller. But we gather that the payback periods have really come in more to the four to five range, and they had expanded to maybe six to seven at one point last year. So with all that context, maybe you could talk about the health and the size of the cohort that you're bringing in now for Square. Sure, happy to take that. Thanks for the question, Tim. Let me start with the um, cohort uh, trends on payback periods, and then we can dive into what we're seeing uh, in the first half of the year in terms of spend and customer acquisition. Um, so in 2022, for our 2022 cohort, we're seeing trends toward a six to seven quarter payback, which is slightly higher than our expectations as these cohorts have cured. Square sales and marketing spend was up approximately 20% year over year in 2022 compared to 2021. From a 2023 cohort perspective, we're targeting approximately a five quarter payback as we expect paybacks to improve compared to last year and have a more meaningful impact to growth in 2024. And as I just mentioned, our longer term target across our go to market investments for Square remains the 3X ROI over four years. When you look at the first half of this year, we have pulled back on 
sales and marketing spend through the first half of the year. Square sales and marketing is down 6% year over year, and we expect continued pullback for the rest of the year. Again, we're focused on optimizing our mix of investments across channels and driving efficiency. So we pulled back meaningfully on our brand and awareness channels on a year-over-year -year basis, as well as sales. And we've reduced the size of the team meaningfully as we focus on reorganizing the teams and enhancing our data and incentives, as I was just speaking to on the sales team. Despite this pullback, we've seen strong growth in acquisitions over the past two quarters, with year-over-year -year growth in acquisition improving in the second quarter compared to the first quarter. Um, this is with Square, Square Sales and Marketing down uh, slightly year-over-year year in the second quarter and down 6% through the first half of the year. And we'll take our next question Perfect, from... Thank you. And we'll take our next question from Lisa Ellis with Moffitt Nathanson. Hey, good afternoon. Thanks for taking my question. Um, I was hoping to drill in a little bit on the initiatives you have underway to connect blocks to ecosystems. Um, you know, in the shareholder letter and prepared remarks, you called out a few different ones with cash at pay. Also, I saw 15% um, growth in cash for business, um, you know, and a couple of other highlights in there. Can you just kind of take a step back and update us on sort of your current overall strategy for connecting the ecosystems and maybe some data points on the benefits you see in the organization um, the kind of network effects as well as maybe some of the profitability benefits you see. Thank you. Yeah, I can I can start with that. So um, as we've talked about, we we do believe our, our power and especially resilience in our business has to do the fact we, we have multiple different ecosystems serving different audiences. And um, I've been spending a lot of my time and focus on looking for opportunities with the, the teams to connect them. Um, some of the ones uh, we mentioned uh, earlier on the remarks um, are uh, mostly between Square and, and Cash App. Um, so uh, payroll and Cash App taxes was was a big one. Um, Cash App and Square through Afterpay uh, is the biggest part of my focus right now. Uh, and I'm 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 really excited about the the strategy. Uh, we continue to refine it and look for opportunities to build a really compelling experience within the Cash App that. Um, builds network effects and uh, increases our network effects within Cash App, but also uh, enables us to have an app that people are checking every day um, because there's something interesting. And especially as we balance that with uh, with Square and our our network of sellers, like it's even more unique and more compelling. Um, Cash App and uh, our Bitcoin hardware, specifically the the Bitcoin um, wallet. Um, we announced a, a partnership uh, and a launch um, that will be a global first product. We'll be uh, launching in um, the most countries we've ever launched in uh, to, to start. And um, we're, we're constantly looking for other ones. There's, there's a lot around uh, Cash App Pay and, and Square, uh, especially around um, local offers and local merchants. Um, and we continue to find more and more connections. And, and that doesn't speak to the, the future ones, which would be title. Um, and looking at opportunities for for Square, especially musicians looking uh, for to sell merchandise or ticketing. Uh, and TBD, we believe, um, with its protocol, will enable both Cash App and Square, uh, and and even Title to move much faster and move much faster globally. Um, so we're excited about that. So we have a mix of um, external product facing and feature features um, that connect the two ecosystems and. 
a lot of internal stuff as well, where we're we're using more shared resources, more shared learnings, uh, and able to move much faster as a individual ecosystem because of the work already done by a, a, a peer ecosystem. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Ken Sikoski with Autonomous Research. Hi, good afternoon. Uh, thanks for taking the question. Um, so it's good to see the strong growth coming out of Square's uh, international markets yet again. Um, I believe Square recently highlighted that many of its verticalized software products um, are now available in some of the company's largest uh, international markets. Can you just talk about the opportunity here from a software uh, penetration perspective compared to the U.S. and how have, I guess, how having these verticalized software products in these local markets uh, can help you sustain the momentum behind the international business in terms of uh, GPV growth and gross profit growth? Yeah, thanks for the question. I'll start. Um, so our, our priority with, with Square is to achieve parity across each of our markets, meaning that we launch all of our features in any one particular market globally. Um, there's various challenges to, the, to doing that, um, Square Loans being an example, uh, different regulatory environments um, that, that just increases the, the workload. And every, every, um, every new market that we take on, you know, it, it does you know, have some um, cost to us doing more, more features uh, for the general product. So we're always providing that cost and, and making sure that we're picking the right markets at the right time. Um, we made a lot of strides in Q2 with the launch of uh, 30 products across our global markets for Square. Um, one of the most notable was Tap to Pay on Android, and that's uh, available to sellers in the U.S., Australia, the U.K., Ireland, France, and Spain. This is a big deal as, as Tap becomes the, the dominant way to, to pay. More, more and more people are using their phones, especially outside of the United States and, and Europe and uh, Australia. And then we also launched our second-generation Square Reader in uh, the U.K., Canada, Australia, Japan, France, Ireland, and Spain. Um, and this improves our battery life stronger connection, NFC performance, and it allows sellers around the world um, to take secure payments from just about anywhere. It's uh, extremely portable. Australia continues to be very strong. In the 12 months ending in June, almost half of Square's gross profit in Australia came from sellers that used four monetized products, which is up from less than one-third two years ago. And we've seen um, our Square banking products contribute to some of the strong um, gross profit growth we've seen in international markets as well. So we continue to to push. Um, going going international is has to be more more deliberate and therefore a little bit slower. But we've learned a lot as we go into every market, and each market that we open, uh, we can move much faster and, and ideally grow faster as well. And I just add, uh, Ken, that you know as you noted, this is a big opportunity for us. We we believe that in these markets outside the U.S. that we're in we're less than 1% penetrated um, in the opportunity with a long runway for growth. Um, so as I noted, our gross profit growth uh, for Square, excluding the BNPL platform and, and our markets outside the U.S. was 35% year over year in the second quarter, now at about 11% of Square's total gross profit ex-BNPL, um, with GPV up 26% year over year and 32% on a constant currency basis. And this really encompasses, as Jack was saying, the rollout of additional products across the full suite, whether it's uh, payments, software, hardware, as well as the banking products now more recently, 
where we're seeing strong traction and, and where we've got our work to continue to build upon this momentum. Great. Thank you both. Take our next question from Brian Keane with Deutsche Bank. Hi guys, thanks for taking the question. Uh, we were excited to see the, the 1 million Cash App Pay active user base. Just curious on the timeline for merchant distribution and acquirer expansion for Cash App Pay, and then maybe you can just go over uh, the revenue model uh, for Cash App Pay in particular. Thank you. Yeah, sorry. so um, with, with Cash App Pay, we're our, our goal is to provide a lot more flexibility uh, for customers. And as I mentioned in my opening remarks, um, we have expanded our distribution recently with uh, partnerships with Stripe, Adyen, and, and Pay Near Me, which allows us to reach a much broader range of, of merchants and also industries. Um, we launched uh, some additional Afterpay merchants in Q2, um, including Steve Madden and Fenty Beauty. And we, we still see significant room to grow the adoption of Cash App Pay. And we're actively pursuing a, a pipeline of, of new merchants. Uh, Afterpay certainly helps with that. During the second quarter, nearly 500 million in analyzed volume was processed through Cash App Pay, and nearly 1 million Cash App Pay monthly actives as of June. So it allows us to reach customers beyond um, those that the Cash App card is serving. And we've seen really strong adoption amongst our, our younger audience, uh, a Gen Z uh, demographic. So. Um, we, uh, we, we, we've seen promising results, um, and we're still looking for opportunities to, to make sure that we continue to see those and, and push it. And I just add, Brian, that you know, we see merchants um, eager to onboard with Cash App Pay uh, because of the access to the very attractive customer base that we have, 54 million monthly transacting actives as of June. Um, who uh, you know are highly engaged on our platform and inflowed over $1,100 during the the second quarter, um, and so with Cash App Pay being present as a payment device on their platform, um, they they get access to these customers who don't even necessarily have to have been signed up via Cash App card, um, and that's really the the proposition that we're selling into these merchants, these large merchants who are finding real product fit here with Cash App Pay. Great, thank you. We'll take our next question from Harshida Rawat with Bernstein. Hi, good afternoon. Um, can you expand upon your comments around headcount growth in the business? It's been very strong over these past few years. How are you seeing potential for efficiencies, for example, in your engineering teams with AI? And Amrita, I know you talked about um, the headcount growth for this year, but how should we think about headcount growth trajectory over the medium term? Thank you. Yeah, I think the biggest change has, has been our investment framework and, and making all, all teams and leaders and managers aware of the true cost of their, their business and taking into account stock-based compensation. So we have slowed hiring um, and we have uh, targeted more uh, we, we, we've been more targeted in our hiring um, to get much stronger uh, talent and looking deeply at, at performance management as well. Um, of course, there's always efficiencies um, to, to bring to the table, um, but we, we just want to make sure that we're, we're looking at each ecosystem and, and really um, putting the decisions in the hands of, of the folks running these teams and, and really running the company 
with everyone um, having the um, the investment model in their head to make sure that we're achieving the growth that we want to see um, at the cost that we we want to minimize. So um, it it's er, it is early um, as we just rolled out this investment framework, but it does seem to be working and is is something that's in the in the consciousness of the organization. Great, thank you. We'll take our next question from Raina Kumar with UBS. Good evening. Thanks for taking my question. Um, could you um, talk a little bit about the next steps in the afterpay integration, and could you discuss more broadly what are the next um, what are the the next things to look out as you um, integrate afterpay? Yeah, this, as I said, this is where a lot of my focus is right now. I'm, I'm meeting the team almost on a daily basis to make sure that we come up with a compelling and differentiated experience. Um, a lot of the work is going to be found within uh, Cash App and the Cash App um, uh, Discover tab. It's a, it's a little magnifying glass in your interface. Um, we want to build a compelling experience that people want to go back to uh, daily um, to find offers, to find deals, to find items, to find uh, merchants around them, and um, and and that it be a the, that it be a place that also uh, continues to push on our ecosystem of ecosystem models so that we're um, benefiting uh, the Square ecosystem and the Square ecosystem benefits Cash App. So that will probably be um, where you'll see the highest velocity changes. A lot of it has to do with our ability to rank this uh, you know items and merchants and deals and offers on a on a relevant basis. Um, and obviously we'll be applying machine learning and deep learning to, to do that based on the, all the signals we get. Um, but that's where the, you know, the, the ecosystem really come together in our highest impact way, we believe. And it leads to many other opportunities down the line. So that, that's where I would look. Thank you. We'll take our next question from Ramsey El Asal with Barclays. Hi, thanks for taking my question this evening. Um, I wanted to ask you to dive in a little bit deeper on the move up market and seller and just kind of comment on how the larger retailers and merchants are, are utilizing block services maybe differently than the smaller merchants. How does the value proposition sort of change? What's resonating? And then just what strategy you might use to sort of lean into this move up market? Yeah, so... Um... In, in terms of uh, the verticalization and uh, attracting, um, you know, getting people more up uh, a market, I think the the biggest one is is we just have a much more focused effort around these verticals uh, and that we maintain um, flexibility. Um, a lot of our competitors are working on one vertical. Um, we're working on all three, all three of the dominant ones uh, that you find. Um, within commerce. Um, so a, a big aspect that uh, people choose Square for is because I might be a restaurant chain, but I also have some retail elements, or I might be a chain of uh, nail salons and um, provide services and retail. So we're seeing a lot of crossover between all these verticals. And because Square is one ecosystem and um, they all it all connects together with all the operational utilities as well, it's very easy to choose and it's very at, easy to uh, add these new dimensions to um, your offering to your customers, which ultimately 
differentiates you from your competitors and and, uh, and and grows your sales. So if I were to point to one thing, it would be the, the flexibility that we enable. And that flexibility extends to, as you do get bigger, or you're coming to us as a bigger entity, uh, you might have legacy systems or you might need to do custom work. And that's where our, our uh, Square platform comes in, enables people to um, hire developers themselves, um, take tools off our, off our marketplace um, to actually customize their work and customize their own system so that they can build the experience that they want for, for their customers. So um, that, that flexibility is, is really significant and, and one that you know, continues to set us apart. It also allows us to move much faster because we're using the same developer platform internally as we're exposing externally. Um, so a lot of our interfaces are built on that. Uh, and it allows us to focus on, on the interface and experience and make sure that all of our developers have uh, access to the same tools that we do so they can build really compelling additions and our larger merchants can build um, compelling additions themselves on the same tools and that same foundation. Thank you. And I'd, I'd just add, Ramsey, that you know, if you think about to your question, how do larger sellers use our platform differently from smaller sellers? I think one simple way to answer that is they use more of our platform um, than smaller yeah. sellers. Um, and I think the last stat we shared in 2022, um, the mid-market sellers who adopted four or more of our products had 15 times greater retention than those who only adopted one. And we know they generally adopt more products and smaller sellers. So that ability to do take on more jobs on behalf of that larger seller ultimately builds a more retentive relationship with them. Um, and as Jack mentioned, that comes through not only in our vertical software offerings, each of which is now running at an annualized gross profit growth rate of $100 million or more uh, during the second quarter, but also our developer platform, um, which provides those third-party integrations so that they, you know, these sellers can build more customized solutions and applications across a number of different aspects, not just payments, but orders, inventory, customers, et cetera. Um, and so the growth that we're tracking on our vertical points of sale at 37% year over year in the second quarter and gross profit growth from our developer tools, which also outpaced overall square gross profit growth are real uh, key areas for us to continue to be tracking here along with um, our go-to-market orientation around a greater um, verticalized orientation from a mar marketing and, and sales perspective. Um, we see these as being key elements of our platform and our go-to-market approach that ultimately help us attract larger sellers. Great, thanks so much. We'll take our next question from Trevor Williams with Jeffries. Great. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, I wanted to ask on the S&S line within Seller, the disclosure on Square Banking was helpful to see this quarter, but if you could just give us kind of a snapshot of current stack rank of the biggest revenue contributors to that line today, and then second part to that would be on payroll. Jack, you mentioned in your remarks some of the integration there with Cash App taxes, but any broader update on payroll and how you're thinking about the longer term opportunity to cross sell into the existing seller base there. Thanks. Sorry, and your, fir and your first question was on, go ahead, go ahead, Emery. I think the first question was on um, subscription and services within Square and helping the uh, stack rank some of the largest Square products within that line. 
Um, and I would orient you, Trevor, to our SCORE banking disclosures where uh, SCORE banking contributed $167 million in gross profit in the second quarter. The four biggest um, sort of areas there being SCORE loans, instant transfer, our SCORE debit card, and now our SCORE savings product as well, which uh, we're now recognizing interest benefits from as part of our gross profit as well. So those are kind of the four biggest products from a banking perspective that I'd orient you to and that are driving um, meaningful growth in our Square Banking uh, initiative and, and more broadly across SNS for Square. I think the second question, um, Trevor, you had was on payroll? It was on payroll. Yeah, exactly. Just the cross-sell opportunity into the existing merchant base. Thanks. I think we continue to see as we, you know, especially as we grow our sales initiative um, and deepen those relationships with upmarket sellers, we see a significant opportunity to drive um, software attached, whether it's payroll or any of our other 30 plus products across the Square ecosystem to drive attach into upmarket sellers. Um, and so that's a key part of our initiative. And as I mentioned, it's early days. We're only a few months into having verticalized our inbound U.S. sales team, but we are seeing higher software attached from that verticalization. And we're now um, in the process of ramping our outbound sales team as well and hope to continue to drive that through products like payroll and, and other products as we build those touch points with upmarket sellers. We'll take our next question from Jason Kupferberg with Bank of America. Okay, thanks guys. Um, just can you quickly review what you said about Square gross profit and GPV growth for Q4? And then just on the cash app side, I think that the inflows per active were up 8% in Q2. Do you expect that to stay pretty stable in the second half? Thanks. Jason, happy to take that one or start on that one. So let's uh, start with Square, um, and we'll unpack some of the GPV trends that we're looking at. Uh, generally, we look at Square growth across three high-level components, customer acquisition, churn, and same-store growth. Um, in the second quarter, we saw acquisition, acquisition grow year-over-year, year, as, as I mentioned already. Churn was relatively stable, and we saw moderation, or where we've seen moderation in growth is in the same store growth element of those three elements, or GPV per seller. So I'll, let me kind of walk through and unpack each of those. From a customer acquisition standpoint, in both the first quarter and the second quarter, we saw year-over-year -year growth in acquisition. And based on trends to date, acquisition growth in the second quarter improved compared to the first quarter. From a turn perspective, since the third quarter of 2022, we've seen relative stability in churn of existing sellers on a year-over-year -year basis, no material changes there. From a same-store growth perspective or GPV per seller, there's kind of a couple things that I'd unpack for you where we've seen the moderation. First, it looks to be consumer-related. Second, it looks to cross multiple verticals. Um, third, this sort of retention dynamic or um, GPV per seller dynamic seems to account for the majority of the GPV growth decel that we've seen since the third quarter of last year. And, and fourth, we see similarity in our data here on GPV per seller trends to uh, broader third-party data as well. 
So let me kind of walk through each of those elements. First, um, processing volumes at existing sellers are again, sort of that same store growth element. We're lower in the second quarter of 23 compared to the third quarter of 22 levels. We've noted seeing this similar dynamic since mid-November, which is kind of that Q4 timeframe that you're referencing. We believe it's consumer related as growth in spend per card and in the number of unique cards remains lower than October levels, while churn, as I mentioned, remains relatively stable. Um, ultimately, obviously, we manage the business to gross profit, but unpacking some of the GPV trends might be helpful to illustrate here. Since the third quarter of 22, we've seen an eight point slowdown in Square's global GPV growth from 20% or so to 12% or so. We estimate that GPV per seller or same store growth has been responsible for the vast majority of the slowdown since the third quarter of last year. It's really impacting nearly all the verticals we see in recent quarters and impacts broadly across the seller base by seller size as well, but perhaps more pronounced amongst larger sellers. And similar to the data that we've seen and that we're tracking on third-party data, since the third quarter, U.S. GPV growth has slowed by seven points, and we've seen an eight-point slowdown in growth of U.S. retail sales and a six-point slowdown in the growth of Visa and MasterCard volumes in the U.S. Um, so these are some of the key elements that I'd point you to to kind of unpack what we're seeing from a same-store growth or GPV trend line perspective. And, sorry, um, what, what, yep. sorry, what about 423? I, I just wanted to make sure I had the commentary right there. Sorry, say that again on 23? For the fourth quarter of 23, the relative growth rate you're expecting on GP and GPV versus the Q3, 23? Sure. Yeah, what we shared for Q4 was that we expect to see a slight improvement in gross profit and GPV growth compared to Q3. Q3, remember, we're sort of um, urging you to look at the July rates for Q3, the July rates being 15% gross profit growth, for Square and 12% GPV growth for Square. Uh, but we expect to see improvement in the fourth quarter uh, given some more favorable comparisons. Uh, again, as I referenced, we started to see some of the moderation and growth across these verticals in the mid Q4 timeframe of last year. Um, the second part of your question, uh, Jason, was on inflows per active, the 8% right. growth there. Um, and in the second quarter, and I think your question was just sort of the, the sustainability or how we see growth on inflows proactive over time. Uh, for the second half of this year. Yeah, for the second half of this year. Thanks. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, as I noted in the in the remarks earlier, we expect from a 2023 perspective to see overall growth in inflows proactive. We saw that 8% growth in the second quarter as well. Um, and, and relative stability quarter over quarter, even though we have a greater impact from tax refunds in the first quarter. Ultimately, we've been encouraged here by the healthy trends. As we look forward, I think there's kind of two dynamics that I'd point out beyond the you know, broader question of consumer health and consumer spend levels. One is product adoption. Um, if we can drive more product adoption and cross-sell of our products, that gives customers more reasons to onboard more funds into Cash App. Also, if we give customers more ways that they can onboard their funds into Cash App, that also, you know, for example, paper money deposits uh, in the past couple of quarters, that also gives us um, leads to incremental volumes on inflows and, and opportunities to, to engage customers through our products. 
The one um, mitigating uh, element to that is the mixed shift dynamic as we uh, attract younger demographics into cash up and we've seen strong um, uh, and encouraging trends with younger demographics like Gen Z demographics, that could put some pressure on inflows proactive as these customers are more likely to have lower inflows uh, proactive earlier in their financial journey, but this is the demographic that we want to be growing with over the long term. So those are kind of the two dynamics that I would um, I would share with you as, as you think about modeling inflows proactive over time. Very helpful, thanks. And we have time for one more question. We'll take our last question from Jamie Friedman with Susquehanna International Group. Hi, um, I was wondering, Amrita Jack, how Afterpay is performing relative to your expectations from a credit perspective. I realize losses on consumer receivables were just 1.01%, essentially the same as last year. But is that more due to your treatment of the credit box? How overall are you thinking about that, the originations versus the profitability from a credit perspective? Thank you. I can start on that one. Um, you know, what I would say is that what we've seen for Afterpay in the first half of this year is um, stability to improvement in overall trend lines from a top line perspective, whether you look at GMV or gross profit, with um, consistent loss rates. Um, and we've maintained a really disciplined approach here to risk loss and can have continued to see stable trends in consumer health and repayment behavior with stability, as you noted, on losses on consumer receivables from a year-over-year -year perspective in the second quarter. This is while GMV was up 22% year-over-year in the second quarter, improving from the 17% growth rate in the first quarter. And similarly, while gross profit was up, improving from, uh, you know, at 13% year-over-year in the second quarter, improving from 10% in the first quarter. So we've seen stable to improving trends on the core BNPL products within Afterpay um, while we continue to focus on the much larger opportunities on integration with the commerce pillar connecting our cash app and square ecosystems and while we maintain healthy loss rates across the ecosystem. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for participating in today's program. This does conclude the program. You may now disconnect.